Welcome to Mind, Muscle, and Metabolism, the Jade Tita Podcast. Here you get the in-depth science and practical tools needed to change your body, optimize your health, and elevate your mindset. I'm Dr. Jade Tita, and here is what I want you to know. You are different. You are as unique on the inside chemically as you are on the outside physically. And those differences matter. They matter because there is only one rule to achieving optimal health, fitness, and body change. That rule, do what works for you. My goal is to help you understand exactly how. I'm so excited you're here. Your transformation starts right now. Okay, today's podcast, Dr. JT, the podcast, we're going to be talking about cortisol today. And this is, um, I wanted to do a podcast on this because it's one of those things that uh, you hear again and again and again people talking about cortisol, people saying certain things about stress management and what that means and how you need to eat a lot or not a lot, you know, how small frequent meals will control cortisol or how, you know, skipping meals will raise cortisol or how certain types of exercise will impact cortisol and all those kinds of things. And so I thought it would be useful for people to sort of have a a podcast on exactly what cortisol is and exactly what the issues are around it as we know them. And so let's get into this really quickly. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid from a biochemical uh, perspective. And so the reason I bring that up is because uh, oftentimes when you're doing research on this, you don't necessarily go on PubMed and search cortisol, but you'll look at things like um, searching glucocorticoids and their effects on insulin resistance or glucocorticoids and um, gut function and glucocorticoids and inflammatory or anti-inflammatory effects. And I also bring this up because there's many glucocorticoids used in medicine as well that is are not exactly the same as cortisol, but have many of the same effects as cortisol. Prednisone being a really big one. And so one of the ways that we can look at cortisol's effects is we can start out by kind of thinking, what do we see in clinical conditions where there is excess cortisol, like a cortisol-secreting tumor? Uh, This is known as Cushing's disease. Or what do we see in clinical conditions where uh, there is a autoimmune condition maybe that causes us not to be able to secrete cortisol, which we would call Addison's disease, which is would be called adrenal insufficiency. In fact, uh, John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, suffered from Addison's disease and had to take uh, glucocorticoids and other drugs to uh, deal with that. But let's go through that really quickly because it helps illustrate a little bit about cortisol. And I like it simply because it does give us, you know, uh, a little bit of understanding about what cortisol might be doing uh, to our body composition and things like that. Well, the first thing to understand is if you want to get a really good picture of what severe excess cortisol looks like, go in, on uh, Google and Google Cushing's disease. And what you will see is a person with a huge round face, they call it a moon face, filled with water, very puffy you'll see a big, huge, protruding belly. Oftentimes, someone who looks very soggy or bloated or holding a lot of water. And this is a sort of a very heavy, round type of person. 
And what that tells you sort of immediately is cortisol is having impacts on some of our electrolyte balance, how we hold water, um, and also where we store fat. And so this is one of the first things. So it's not a myth that cortisol is uh, related to fat storage uh, around the middle. Uh, we kind of see that in Cushing's disease, uh, and we can see that in other uh, situations of excess cortisol. So this is an important first step to understanding what cortisol does. Now, Addison's disease, we see a lot of the opposite things. By the way, also one prominent sign of Cushing's disease is uh, what we call purple striae, which is you know, basically stretch marks that have sort of this uh, purple appearance. Also, you'll sometimes see big round, uh, you know, sort of allergic shiners around uh, the eyes, uh, you know, sort of these raccoon eyes that you'll sometimes see on individuals. And Addison's disease, you can typically see uh, the opposite of this. These people tend to be uh, pretty thin, not always. And by the way, not all Cushing's disease individuals are going to be hugely obese as well, but it's a particular look that you can spot that's sort of this waterlogged fat individual when, who's dealing with Cushing's disease and sort of Addison's disease, you sort of see this emaciated, you know, kind of tired person. And this gives us sort of uh, our first clue into the dual action of cortisol. I like to refer to cortisol as the Jekyll and Hyde hormone. And so uh, those of you who know the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, it's a story about a man who sort of has this split personality. Dr. Jekyll is sort of the upstanding, moral, uh, local town, you know, uh, city physician doctor who is, you know, sort of this really sweet man and uh, this kind of thing. And, you know, uh, Mr. Hyde is sort of his evil alter ego. And the, that's kind of the way to think about cortisol, depending on what cortisol, what environment cortisol is being released into, determines some of its effects. And so, uh, for example, cortisol is raised with all types of exercise, all types of exercise, especially intense exercise. The more intense the exercise and the longer duration the exercise, the more cortisol will be released in response to that exercise. However, cortisol in this context is, is fat burning because, you know, just so you understand the biochemistry, I'll give you this for those of you who are students of this, but there are two uh, enzymes responsible for shuttling uh, fat into cells and out of cells. One is called HSL, hormone-sensitive lipase, and one is called LPL, lipoprotein lipase. I like to kind of keep, keep these, I wrote about this in my book, and I'll give you this analogy, but I like to think of them as two bouncers at a nightclub. Larry is LPL, and Harry is HSL. Now imagine Larry, LPL, stands at the front of the club and lets people into the club. So he lets people into the club, and people are analogous to fat. So LPL shuttles fat inside of the cell. Imagine Harry, hormone-sensitive lipase, is at the back of the club, and he shuttles people out. And so from this perspective, LPL is sort of a fat-burning, or fat-storing enzyme, rather, and HSL is a fat-burning enzyme. So Larry helps store fat, a LPL. Harry helps burn fat, HSL. Cortisol actually stimulates both of these enzymes. So cortisol does stimulate LPL, 
Larry and also stimulates Harry. So it's sort of a, a net neutral effect in terms of its own fat storing ability. However, if you combine cortisol with insulin, whereas insulin suppresses HSL and stimulates LPL, what happens is insulin blocks cortisol's effect on HSL, and both of them stimulate LPL. And so in a excess calorie situation with, with lots of insulin and cortisol around, you're going to get a lot of fat storage and very little fat release. However, during exercise, what happens is insulin is not around in high amounts, but human growth hormone is, and human growth hormone accentuates cortisol's HSL stimulating properties and blocks uh, cortisol's LPL stimulating properties. And so when human growth hormone and cortisol are interacting together, you get more of a fat burning effect rather than a fat storing effect. And this is why, you know, sometimes when you do something like intermittent fasting, which raises cortisol and human growth hormone together, or high intensity interval training, which let, which raises cortisol and human growth hormone together, you get a more fat burning effect and cortisol aids that fat burning effect. In other words, having cortisol with HGH is better than HGH alone. However, when you have cortisol along with insulin, you have sort of the opposite effect. And so all hormones are sort of like this. They behave differently depending on the other hormones they're socializing with. And so when we think about cortisol, what we want to think about is how can we use its fat-burning effects and how can we block or downregulate its fat-storing effects. That's one key thing here. So you can see cortisol can be our best friend or our worst enemy. It can be Dr. Jekyll, the good guy, or Mr. Hyde, the bad guy, depending on where it shows up. So in general, we want cortisol very low when we are in a resting state. And when we are in a feeding state, we want it high or elevated when we are in a uh, short-term fasting state or a exercising state. And so what this might look like is not trying to suppress cortisol during exercise. That would not be a good thing at all, but maybe trying to do things to lower cortisol outside of exercise. This is why during exercise, we might want to take and push ourselves to get that cortisol effect. But after exercise, we want to maybe do some things to lower cortisol. So Let's talk a little bit about cortisol and food then. So cortisol is interesting as it pertains to food because cortisol has several different things that it does. It is uh, the best way to think about cortisol or one way to think about cortisol is as an alarm hormone. It's part of our fight or flight stress response. And so when we see, you know, sort of the, uh, the cliche of the, the saber-toothed tiger chasing us, we need to either fight flee or freeze, right? Those are, that's the sympathetic response. And cortisol helps us in the fight and the flee response. And it is valuable for us there. But a lot of people get this confused because the initial response, you don't actually feel cortisol. So when people think, you know, they're like, I'm jittery, I must have high cortisol levels, or if I'm feeling wired in my head, those, that's not actually cortisol that you're feeling. You're feeling adrenaline. And these two things often come together. When you're in, an, in a stressful state, you see a saber-toothed tiger, you have to fight or you have to run away. Adrenaline is the quick-acting sympathetic hormone. It's the thing you feel. It's the thing that can make you feel jittery. When you have low blood sugar or you missed a meal and you ever feel this sort of jittery, anxious feeling, that's more adrenaline. Cortisol, you typically don't 
feel in that way, but it's still part of the alarm hormone uh, alarm system. And one of the ways that it helps to the body in alarm situation is to liberate fuel, both sugar and fat. So we talked a little bit about that. It helps to raise blood sugar. It helps to raise triglycerides, which is the store storage form of the way fat floats around in your blood. It's fat floats around as a glycerol molecule and three fatty acids. That's why we call it triglycerides. And by the way, when you see that on your blood panel, right, when your doctors run your bloods and you see triglycerides, that's basically a measure of blood fat. So we do have a measure on our blood labs of sugar, fasting glucose. So that tells us the sugar levels in our blood. And we have fasting fat in our blood too, triglycerides. So when you see glucose and triglycerides on your bloods when your doctor runs them, it's essentially looking at how much fat and sugar are in your blood sort of as an aside there. But cortisol helps to release fat and helps to release sugar. That's part of what it does. Also part of what it does in the alarm system is it regulates pretty tightly. It's, it has control over the immune system. And so it is anti-inflammatory in action. One of the reasons why if you get hives or you get an allergic reaction or you get uh, you know something like that, that doctors will give individuals prednisone if they have an inflammatory autoimmune condition or they'll give them glucocorticoids to help with uh, asthma or hives or any of these kinds of things. So cortisol is involved in the anti-inflammatory process, which can be a good thing as well. And so anytime you're under stress, cortisol might raise up. And anytime you're under an inflammatory condition, an infection, cortisol might raise up. Anytime you have an injury or something like that, cortisol may rise. And one place also is that when you think about the digestive system, when you eat food, you're basically taking in foreign materials and you need to translate, absorb, digest, and absorb, and assimilate this. And the gut has to sort of do the job of saying, okay, this is food not a foreign invader. And cortisol is oftentimes around at that time when sort of this inflammatory response happens in the gut in response to a meal. And so cortisol is actually, what's interesting is cortisol is raised in people when they miss meals sometimes, uh, not always, but sometimes when you're in a short duration fasting state. And cortisol is also raised when you eat meals, especially if you're someone who has certain dietary intolerances. If you're intolerant to gluten, cortisol will likely be raised. If you're intolerant to dairy, cortisol will likely be raised during that time. And so people say, oh, if you miss meals, it'll raise cortisol, perhaps. But also every single time you eat, cortisol levels go up a little bit. At the same time, cortisol has a circadian rhythm. And so there's a very nice circadian rhythm that we can see a 24-hour uh, way that cortisol responds. It typically peaks early in the morning and then sort of falls off at night. So you get this peak in the morning, then this slow fall at night. And what you can see is that during acute stress, which is different than chronic stress, during acute stress, cortisol levels go up and then they come back down pretty easily. But during chronic stress or chronic infection or chronic inflammation, cortisol levels will be raised at high levels for very long periods of time. And that's when we start running into some of the negative effects of cortisol. And so I wanted to go through all that so you can sort of understand acute raising of cortisol from missing a meal or fasting for a day or two typically is not going to be a problem. Matter of fact, it's normal and beneficial. Cortisol being raised during exercise is not a problem. In fact, it's normal and it's beneficial. However, cortisol being 
sustained and raised over the long period of time because you are overly hypervigilant, you are overly self-editing, you have deadlines at work, you are sleep-deprived, you have a chronic viral infection or uh, something of that nature, or you have uh, chronic inflammation going out around, or you're exposing yourself to food allergens and food intolerances a lot, what will happen is then cortisol levels will start to remain high. Now, we've talked about this before where people talk about this as adrenal fatigue. You can kind of think of this more like, uh, you know, the the alarm phase is sort of the acute phase. And then you can sort of think of it as a chronic alarm phase. It's sort of like the boy who cried wolf, right? Where it's constantly like the wolf's coming, the wolf's coming, and everyone starts to ignore the signal. And that's what actually happens to the brain with cortisol. When cortisol is around all the time in high amounts, the hypothalamus begins to become uh, less responsive to cortisol. Cortisol also has an effect where it primes many other hormones receptors. And so very high cortisol levels can start to interrupt with the action of other hormones. For example, cortisol blocks the, the conversion of uh, T4 to T3, raising reverse T3, making less thyroid hormone available to do its action. So very high chronic levels of cortisol, like such as in Cushing disease, they oftentimes have um, functional thyroid deficiency as well because of this issue. But it's really not an adrenal fatigue, so to speak, or an adrenal alarm, so to speak. It's more coming from the thermostat nature of the metabolism. Cortisol levels get kicked up to high amounts. They're there a lot of the time. They start to interact with receptors in the brain of the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus then begins to communicate downstream to shut down thyroid function to some degree, to shut down adrenal function to some degree, and to start to shut down gonadal function, ovarian testicular function. And so cortisol is at the heart of the signaling molecule of what the body does with chronic stress. If it sees a lot of cortisol around for a long period of time, it starts to say, I'm under chronic stress and I'm going to begin to downregulate some of my other functions. And uh, this becomes sort of the boy that cries wolf situation where the brain starts saying, I don't believe you anymore. And then you start getting all these weird signs and symptoms. So all of a sudden your joints start aching. All of a sudden you're, you have digestive intolerances. All of a sudden you start losing libido. All of a sudden you have excess cravings. Cortisol seems to be related to cravings in the brain. You have decreased motivation. Excess cortisol seems to lower the motivation centers in the brain. You have uh, problems with thyroid. And all of a sudden you just feel across the board less vital. And yes, cortisol can be playing a role here. However, one of the things that we tend to do in functional medicine is we start to then say, oh, well, let's just treat that. Let's see if we can lower cortisol by, you know, doing things like giving supplements like phosphatidylserine or giving adaptogens like ashwagandha and rhodiola and those kinds of things. And they can be beneficial. However, they're not dealing with the cause. And the cause is almost always when you have very high sustained uh, cortisol levels, you need to think chronic infection, chronic inflammation, or chronic psychological stress. And what oftentimes happens is people say, I'm, I'm fine, I don't feel stressed, but they might have a chronic inflammation going on because they're eating the wrong foods for their body. Maybe they're sensitive to dairy, or maybe they're sensitive to gluten, or maybe they have, uh, you know, they've been under such high stress that they have a, a, a more permeable uh, you know, a digestive system. And so 
the body is hyper diligent in that regard. And so cortisol is being kicked up. Cortisol has negative effects on the nervous system. That's mainly why you start, you see things like people talking about adrenal fatigue. It's not really coming from the adrenals. It's really coming from the brain. But yes, high cortisol levels can be the cause of that. So that's what I sort of want you to understand when we think about cortisol. Acute raising of cortisol isn't a problem. You want to learn how to do that. But then you don't want it to be chronically high. So let's go through some of the things you could do. Let's take exercise, for example. So you want cortisol high. You want human growth hormone high. High-intensity interval training type stuff, metabolic conditioning type stuff is able to do that. Um, so is short-term fasting, by the way. Uh, up to two days, what you'll see with fasting, which is really interesting, is that when you cut calories, 500 calories a day just across the board, the metabolism slows down. However, when you fast and remove pretty much all food from your diet, actually metabolism picks up. So those are two very different things. Uh, and cortisol levels pick up, but so does human growth hormone. Then if that fast is extended for long periods of time, for some people, not all, you can start seeing issues with cortisol. And so, but what you want to do is you want to use things to your advantage. So yes, you know, maybe do a short-term fast or maybe do high-intensity exercise. And then after that, you want to do things like, you know, take in whey protein, which has been shown to lower cortisol in studies. I certainly can tell you there's probably some people who are sensitive to dairy proteins that that might not be the case. But remember what cortisol's job is, raise blood sugar. If you give yourself food, right, you may not have cortisol be as high as if you missed that meal, but cortisol will still be raised to some degree to deal with that meal. So hopefully that makes sense because you might say, well, Jade, you're telling me to eat something post-workout and that will lower cortisol levels. And it certainly will uh, lower cortisol levels because cortisol is, tr is going to remain high if it needs to supply blood sugar to the body. As a matter of fact, whey protein has some uh, benefits in brain chemistry that uh, you know, it basically can raise serotonin levels in the brain, and that also opposes some of what cortisol does. And so certainly eating a whey protein meal or something like that post-exercise can lower some of the stress hormone response, uh, even though it won't be as low as it would be at rest because you are still eating and the body needs some of that cortisol to do some of its inflammatory diligence and immune system surveillance. Uh, naps, uh, lower cortisol levels, sleeping lowers cortisol levels and chronic sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, raise cortisol levels uh, to very high levels. Uh, sex, orgasm, physical affection, I talk about that a lot. This is one of those things that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but uh, an orgasm, whether it's through masturbation or whether it's through sex, is an amazing way to put yourself in out of a sympathetic mode and into parasympathetic mode. So, again, maybe the perfect uh, post-workout recovery is to have a whey protein shake, have an orgasm, take a brief nap, and all of a sudden you've gone into this low uh, cortisol state. As an aside, I'll also give you, since we're talking about orgasms and things like that, a lot of times people who wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll, I should do a podcast on sleep in and of itself, but a lot of times when people wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep, there's a three-part process you can use to get back to sleep. Eat something, preferably um, with a little bit of starch, Take a hot shower because that will, when you get out of the shower, all your blood vessels will be opened up and that will cause you to dissipate heat and that drop in temperature signals your body to get sleepy and have an orgasm. Those three together 
or any of those ones can help you get back to sleep. And if you have sleep deprivation, you're going to have elevated uh, cortisol levels. And so all of this stuff matters, Uh, meditation, uh, massage, uh, those kinds of things. And then my favorite is walking, leisurely or leisurely walking, depending on what part of the world you're from. This slow, relaxing walking, especially in green settings, as a matter of fact, green settings in general, nature settings uh, and uh, soft music will lower cortisol levels. But walking is an amazing way to lower cortisol and insulin, which is a great way to uh, put us in sort of a fat burning uh, state. Obviously, it can't overcome if you're going to be, you know, putting yourself in calorie excess every day through your eating. But if you are at a lower calorie state or normal caloric level, uh, and you do way more walking, you can sensitize the body to insulin, lower cortisol levels, and get a nice fat-burning effect. And the final thing I'll say about cortisol before we wrap up is I would say that one of the things that you need to understand about cortisol is that we oftentimes talk about insulin. Well, insulin and cortisol have this special relationship. People think that, you know, some people believe that obesity is just all about insulin. Uh, That certainly is not true. And I certainly wish that that, you know, we've shown that without a shadow of a doubt. Back in the 90s, maybe in early 2000s, you know, um, my brother, myself, Keone, were on that train as well. But as research has gone on, we now know it really does come down uh, to calories. Uh, There's no real proof that you know, insulin is playing as big a role as we all think it is. And the other interesting thing about that is that certainly if if you have, if you are insulin resistant and you're going to lose weight, you're far more likely to, to, uh, less likely to burn fat and just as likely to burn muscle and things like that. So that's where insulin plays its role. But here's what we don't understand. Oftentimes, if you cut carbohydrates back, and by the way, protein really Uh, raises insulin levels as well. But if you cut carbohydrates back and try to control insulin, but in response, your cortisol levels go up, you can become insulin resistant through too many carbohydrates or too many calories. You can also become insulin resistant through too much stress. Cortisol has an effect of desensitizing the insulin receptors on cells. So too much cortisol can actually make you Uh, also insulin resistant. And so you can stress your way to diabetes and obesity, and you can eat your way to diabetes and obesity. And many people do both. And so insulin and cortisol both need to be managed when we talk about this. That special relationship needs to be managed. But we don't want to um, cause cortisol issues uh, by attacking uh, insulin issues and vice versa, right? So we want to control both. And so I could go on and on uh, about cortisol in general, but I hope this gives you some of the things to sort of understand and worry about and or not and stop overly stressing about cortisol and really know what it is. Uh, one thing I should say before we wrap up is how do you measure your cortisol levels? Well, you can measure them through blood. Um, But one of the better ways to measure them, and and it's one of the only hormones that you want to do this with, is through saliva. Saliva cortisol levels, along with saliva DHEA, or DHA, or DHEA, rather, um, DHEA and cortisol are sort of, uh, DHEA is one of your anabolic sort of androgen-type hormones that help balance against stress, and cortisol is a signal that you are under stress. And so this ratio of cortisol to DHEA, 
is a really good ratio to get, and you can do it through salivary hormone testing. Uh, a company I like to use called Diagnostex does an adrenal stress index, but there's many companies out there that do salivary cortisol profiles where you basically get one in the morning, one at noon, one in the early evening, and one at night, and you can see uh, sort of your cortisol curve. Does it have the natural curve of starting high and ending low at the end of the day, or do you have a reverse curve where it's high, uh, low in the morning and high at night, which signals some early potential chronic stress? Is it flatlined completely, which shows that you may have been under some se severe chronic stress or chronic inflammation or chronic infection for a long period of time, or is it sustained high? All of those will tell you something. Um, and so that is the particular test that I recommend if people want to begin to track their cortisol levels. And one of the things that I did clinically with this particular test is you can fool around and see how things in impact you. Order several different tests. You can have a day of fasting. Do your cortisol profile. See how it does. Have a day of frequent eating. See how it affects cortisol. Have a day of, you know, just a few meals. See how it affects your cortisol. Have a day of high training. See how it affects your cortisol. Have a day of, um, you know, sort of low training. See how it affects your cortisol. I've even done things like, okay, I'm going to do one of these salivary profiles after an orgasm. Or I'm going to do one of these salivary profiles immediately after a workout. Or I'm going to do one of these salivary profiles immediately after a particular meal with a certain macronutrient ratio. And you can play metabolic detective that way with your cortisol levels. And so all of this can be really, really fun. But I've been rambling on for a little bit, and I'm going to go ahead and end here. But I hope this is useful for you on you know, some of the biochemistry and endocrinology of cortisol. Talk to you guys at the next podcast. Pop it in real quick just to say thank you so much for your interest and support of the JTTA.com podcast. I am bringing back by popular demand the live Q&A calls I used to do back in the day where you can get on live with me, ask your question directly, and have me answer it in full. Questions about thyroid and adrenal health, autoimmune disease, any health condition, belly fat, muscle building, performance enhancement, you name it, we are going to cover it on the Q&A podcast. If you'd like to be on these live Q&A calls with me and speak to me directly, all you need to do is become a patron of the podcast. You can go to www.patreon.com backslash jtita. That's www.patreon.com slash Jade Tita, become a patron of the podcast. I would greatly appreciate your support, and you'll be able to access me live to answer all your questions in depth. Thanks again for your support. See you on the podcast.